about. Some areas might call for, hey, this is a drastic change, and we, we have to stop taking four-hour lunches. We have to. It's killing production. I mean, that's blatant, right? But there are things that you should absolutely just sit on and wait to make any changes. And like you do, making these small corrections, micro-corrections, um, it's easier to do, especially when you're empowering the supervisor, because it's under his watch, to say, you know, I have some advice for you. I, I, I've been watching this together, but I want you to take care of this, and, and, you know, if you need my help, great, but, you know, you need to consider doing this, and here's the effects of that once you make the correction. And show them on paper, show them, you know, how it's done, you know, give them... Give them the, the grace, if you will, to make it their baby, get kudos for it, and all that. I don't need kudos for what I do, you know. I'm there to make the company money and make sure everything's run smoothly and et cetera. But if you go in with a big hammer. Yeah, you're looking, you're going to resentment and trouble and what's well, like yeah, you're a first yeah. lieutenant or a second lieutenant. You just showed up. You're going to listen to what you're NCOs are saying, yeah. and, and you know, because they've been there longer. Yeah, right. Yes, you have rank. Yeah. Yes, you're in charge, but trust your people and and roll with it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We were my daughters and I were talking about. We were. Where were we going? Oh, we went to church and, and on the way back or something. They were talking about who who I rank to, and it came to the girl saying. Well, I'm older than you, so I'm telling you, you should listen to me more because I have more experience in this area. Natalie, of course, was on the fence about being told what to do by her older sister, as always. Right. Audrey was right to a degree. It's just kind of how she said it, but she gets frustrated like any kids with other siblings. Right. And um, and I said, I said, well, what if you guys were the same age? You know, both of you 13, then who are right too? But I was getting at is. In the military, you, know, you can have two master sergeants show up, but who's in charge? It goes by data rank, right? Right. And the it, day you put on the stripe. And then if that date's the same, then you go by the birthday, you know? Yep. And i like, so, so the older person gets to say what happens? If you get <laughs> after everything else, the older person, if it comes down to that, gets to you know, be in charge. But, but like, the, see, Natalie, the older person always wins. But but that brings up a good point. Like we in the military had to plan down to the minutia of what to do because what happens if we're in this situation? Um so Yeah, yeah, we're exactly we're reading Boyd right now and, and it's about Colonel Boyd, the guy who invented the OODA loop, and He's in the exact same situation. What he does is he flies this aircraft, and the aircraft uh, has a hydraulic problem, and they try to blame it on him. And he's like, no, 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 you have a problem with your plane. And he demonstrates it on the ground that it does exactly what he says, and it spurts out uh, the hydraulic fluid and loses pressure if you do this maneuver in the plane. And they According were trying to the work hard, right? Right, and but nobody had ever found it. Uh, not Lockheed Martin, not the Air Force. Nobody had ever noticed this thing. So he caught this potentially hazardous thing, and they tried to court martial him. 
but they couldn't, and they ended up giving him an award. And the he was quoted as saying, you know, they were trying to burn him. He's like, I did my homework. Right. But you, you, he also showed that you had to be willing to do whatever you had to do as a fighter pilot to fly that plane in case of, all right, this is not the move you want to do, but this is, you have no choice, you are going to die, and you're willing to try anything. So here's something you can do. Whether you're uh, a PJ flying your um, your kite, flying your uh, parachute, or you're a pilot flying your plane, or you're a runner or you're a diver, you have to know what your limit is and how important life is and that you're willing to do whatever it takes, even to a last ditch effort. This, yeah. this is at least something. Well, this, this actually speaks to volumes because I know people who I, I believe in the business plan, business plan, business plan, putting stuff out there, what's going to happen, what do I need to do, with it. I mean, as much detail as you can possibly have. And I think I told you a while back, um, when I used to dream about owning a cafe, day and night, I would, especially long flights, I would always think, what am I going to, you know, not just what am I going to serve, I would envision when I wake up in the morning and I own this, and, and I own this cafe, what is my what does my cafe look like? What are the colors? Who's going to be there before me? What has to be done first thing in the morning? What if something happens to that chiller that I'm putting ice on and it doesn't chill, and I'm going to throw all the fresh food out there? What, who do I call? All the details of every single aspect I could think of of running that cafe was going through my head. So when I put together business plans for, whether it's for, for our, my vision or whatever, or help others, I'm like, you got to put down everything. If you're opening up a company, starting a business, and you're not living, breathing, and eating this, you're going to have issues you're going to struggle with. But I'm telling you, if you put down everything you can think of, no, 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 I'm just going to go get a license, I'm going to start a company, and yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, whatever. And so they start a company, and sure enough, you know, they, they struggle, not with the, uh, not with making the product, but the day-to-day operations. Right. So when it comes to, whether it's making food or operations and stuff, I'm not surprised that there's a lot of companies that are successful that don't have a business plan, but... I can tell you those companies that are successful live and breathe that dream for years before they opened it and, and or they had the experience along with that to, to make it successful without a plan, right? Right. But those who want to start a business and have never started a business and didn't dream about business but just are doing it to do it, those are where the failures are because they're not thinking of all the same details that go into that plan. So when I receive a business plan, and it's talking about making a cookie, but it's a bakery that they're initially talking about, and they're only focused on a cookie. I'm like, what about the rest of the business? Right. Yeah, but it's based around this cookie. And the cookie is, is the best in the world. No one makes a cookie like this. Well, yeah, but what about the execution and the background support and the, the upfront, you know, capex, capital expenses for the right. equipment to 
what kind of equipment and you know I mean those details are not there most of the time and that's where that critical thinking comes into play to say I'm going to be so yeah so the military helps us do that and think and and it's done it for us right so you're following your um, your guidelines and your tech data to say here's how we do this step by step by step nobody likes QA around because QA was over your shoulder and, and would ask you, what step are you on? I see you working on this, but what step are you on? Right. And you couldn't answer, you, you got to write up. Right. I don't know how QA was looked at for you guys, you know, in, in your community, but mm. in the maintenance community, nobody liked it. They, <laughs> they were not afraid because you just wanted to change a tire or you know, fix a circuit card or whatever. But if you were, didn't have that tech data open to show you the steps to that and know what step you're on, even though you've done it a thousand times, yeah, you'd get scolded. And I think rightly so, maybe just not the way they were doing it, but yeah, so the steps matter, the processes matter. Yeah. Right. And I think, yes, they did do that, but... You know, were you, did you unhook from the helicopter at the wrong time? Did you, you, like those kind of things? Yeah, definitely they would. But usually it was your friend, you know, he was cool. He was giving you a check ride. Uh, As long as you did everything you were supposed to do, you were good, you know. But if you strayed or were wrong, then you might have some trouble. Yeah, yeah. And I think you were in... Uh, you were maybe active when they had the, you know, right thing done right, right thing done wrong, wrong thing done right, wrong thing done wrong. Right. You know, that process. Um, and that that helped to a lot of this. So you use that um, process to a degree as an example, and people automatically are, oh, that's part of the, you know, the black belt system and this and that. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, call it whatever you want. Don't, don't put it somewhere as part of a theory. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that this is, you know, real life stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. There's always different ways to do stuff. So um, safety was the biggest thing, right, in the Air Force. Safety first. Safety so. first. And I I don't like safety weenies, like those guys that are ultra safe, because to me, we briefed, we checked, we have the checklist, we checked out our, you know, stuff, everything's good. I trust the equipment. I trust the people who packed it. You know, I'm yeah. I'm not worried after that. We've we've already gone through everything. Were you allowed to um, you were allowed to pack your own parachute, but your reserve parachute that was done by life support, right? Right. Typically, yes. But uh, after a while, we packed our chutes sometimes, but oh. you know, it, we usually had so many chutes that we had to jump. So just we just kept jumping them, and then uh, gave the riggers a yeah. job to do. Um, yeah. Well, after, you, after you've done it a thousand times, you're like, okay, I can if I need to, no problem, hundred thousand percent. Right. But it's too mundane to keep doing it again and again and again and again now at, at a certain point. So. And it's funny because I feel I haven't jumped in about ooh, seven years now, and but through so many checklists and so much uh, muscle memory and so much practice, practice, practice. I feel like I could go through a checklist, check the parachute, 
and could jump out of a plane and be fine. Well, my shoulders are jacked up, so that wouldn't be fine. Yeah. But but mentally, I could do a jump. Yeah. And it would. Yeah. There's something to be said for for that muscle memory. You know, that practice, 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 and you know, going like I said, going over you know what I want my cafe to look like. I mean, that muscle memory of walking through those oak doors and and seeing a nice wooden you know, bar counter and seeing the glasses and seeing the mirrors, seeing, you know, people walking around doing their job before the doors open. To me, that's my muscle memory for right. a cafe in the future um, or, you know, type of type of restaurant or doesn't matter. But I've, I've, I've applied that now to other businesses and business aspects and stuff and people just don't want to do that. They don't want to put in the time and effort. They think, well, I started a company, so I'm successful. I'm a business owner. Well, how do you define success? Like completing the paperwork? You know, that's, that's, I mean, you could all define success differently and good for you, but I'm on the worst-case scenario. Like, I want this to be a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year company. I want to make franchises right. and et cetera. And I've always believed if I have a company, I want to train people to run the company. I do not want to be there a thousand percent of the time. I want to entrust in people and train them. This is my life and my passion. Maybe it's just a job to you, and if it is, great. I'll find someone who's dedicated and motivated and make them the new you know, owner, if you will, or teach them how to open up their own company. That's my goal, is can I teach someone to open up their own successful um, company to then say, thank you, I, I, I'm a success at this now. Because the more money and capital expenses you make into buying a building, buying equipment, and all that that goes into that overhead and those capital expenses, that's, I mean, that's the real deal. I mean, you're talking hundreds, if not millions of dollars to do that. But just, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's hard, but... People should think that way to a degree. But they, thankfully, the military has allowed us to be critical thinkers, you know, and, and run with that. Well, they need us to because that's that's what warfare is. It's constantly yeah. reevaluating. It's the OODA loop. You're observing, you're orienting, you're deciding, and you're acting. And the person who does that the quickest is the one who's going to survive the engagement. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, there's a, there's a Netflix show. It's called... It's on Operation Ethics, and I was interested because I because I you know was stationed in England, and um, it had to do with the people that we recruited and the Marines trained to go behind the lines, be dropped behind the lines, and integrate. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's called um, Operation Ethics. Okay, and it's yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. I I relate to it only because I lived in England, and I'm. You know, and being, you're familiar with you know war history and, right. and D-Day and stuff, but this is right before D-Day and what these these men and women right. had to do and be trained to do, and it, it was just released not too long ago from being classified. So right, yeah. Well, it, you remind me of uh, so last night we were talking about um, Admiral Stockdale, who was uh, in the uh, Hanoi Hilton for seven years was the highest ranking uh, military guy on our side to be captured and he he had a twofold theory that you had to be hopeful but you had to be realistic yeah. 
and you couldn't be overly hopeful because then you would eventually become a cynic and just wither away and die, but you couldn't be overly realistic. So you have to find that balance. And I think that that's your, whether you're in the military or you're in life, if you can find that balance, that's like, I'm good to go. I, I, I'm not worried, you know, versus, Oh my God, I'm scared to death and I'm worried about everything. No, I, I, I mean, that, that's absolutely true. I think the hardest problem today is not being realistic with mm-hmm. whether it's what you want to achieve or what your <laughs> goals are, you know, for, for business or relationships. You know, what is realistic? What is realistic? When I, and I keep referring back to business, but when I had basically consulted a, um, a family member on their business. I said, okay, I said, let's put some projections down on what you anticipate on making next year. And this is their first year of business. <laughs> and they both agreed, million dollars. We're going to make a million dollars next year. I said, well, how do you justify that? And I, I kind of inside said, wow, wow, this is great. But then the other part of me knew that, okay, you have to measure these goals with a very, very fine-toothed comb and a very realistic um, thought process. In other words, what are the chances of your customers having the fun? What are the chances of, you know, um, them, themselves, being able to, to sell off uh, to acquire those funds? off other properties to, to do that project, et cetera. So it wasn't really thought through. They just had over a million dollars in potential sales and projects, but there was no mechanism to say 50% chance they'll, get, they'll have the money, 50% chance it'll actually happen. These government programs will, will actually come to life and be funded. None of that mattered to them. All they saw was quotes out there that they had given. And I was like, well, see what happens. All right, so this is the two types of cones I meet. They're either uh, just they don't have a clue what they're talking about and they're they're blissfully ignorant. They're like, yeah, I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to, I've just started training today and I'm leaving for the Air Force tomorrow and I will be ready for pararescue. All right, so you've got blissfully ignorant. Then you have <laughs> the other kind that just lie to themselves and lie to other people and, and say, oh, I'm good to go. I'm, you know. The, they go to the pool and they work on the things that they're good on. They go to the track and they run slow. They, they, they're they doing something, but them telling themselves that they're ready is like, and, and they're totally blatantly, willfully ignorant and just lie to themselves. And then they lie to each other. And, and this is why they have this unexpected, well, the, the unrealistic uh, expectations because they're lying to themselves or they don't have a clue what they're talking about. And so they, you know, we're going to make a million dollars. You have no proof. You have nothing at all. But but there yeah. is the potential. Everything has potential. Even when there's nothing, there's still something. So 
Yeah. And that's where the hope comes in. But you, you have to moderate it with realism. And I mean, I'm hopeful yeah. to to be on. Jesus walked on water because he believed he could. I can walk on water because I believe I can. I can do what I need to because I I have willpower and God is with me. Versus I'm like, I'm going to go past the bar right now and I haven't studied for it at all. Yeah. I haven't studied, but yeah, it'll it'll come to me. Yeah. Jesus will provide. So there is absolutely going back to something that being said just to be realistic to yourself. And if you don't have the experience behind those failures, then you'll continue lying to yourself if you keep denying that. You know, I mean, in order to have good advice, you, you've either done that and failed and learned from that, mm-hmm. or you've listened to someone else who's done that and learned from that and gave you the example of, you know, why it's such. Right. But I think going back to, going back to, you know, whether it's high school or whatever, your, your first big job or your first big commitment to a company, whatever, you don't know realistically what you can and can't do, whether it's for that company, for that job, for the military, until you've been through, like, your guys' program, right. pipeline, or through, you know, school, schooling, any type of schooling. So it's a different type of schooling. I think it's great schooling, the way they teach. I use that as a foundation for when I'm training new folks for our company. I go through similar 623 training, we call it. Mm-hmm. And check off stuff. And you, if I see that you're comfortable doing that, like so you'd be jumped, you know what? Did you become a master jumper too? Uh, no, I didn't have that many jumps. Yeah, I think it's like 500 jumps or how many jumps is that? Five, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, a, it's 500, I think. Yeah, but for, for people that you see doing it as accomplishment, check them out, boom. Yeah, you're, you're good at this. You're good, boom. You're, you're now completed, sign right here, date right here, here's when you accomplish that. Right. Here's when you started this training. You know, we're going to work on this. If you if you want to piss a whip and say, I can do that, I can. I know how to drill, I know how to, you know, do whatever's on that checklist for that company, for that person to learn, or military for that person to learn, you know the results of somebody saying they can do something, and it doesn't happen. I mean, the mission falls really short, really fast, and you either can't deploy, or you can't deploy, or whatever. You can't pencil with stuff. Right. And that's what people do these days. They just want to pencil with stuff. But going back to, to friends, going back to friendships and bonds, that's where your, we'll call them mentors, for this thing. what you're trying to create and I'm trying to do is, hey, let's prepare you realistically for what life is about to throw at you. Right. Let's rely on somebody who can really, really give you the tools. Not the books for you to go read and pass the test, but actually do the darn thing, whether it's swimming, whether it's, what, it doesn't matter what it is, but check them off and say, yeah, dude, you're confident at this. Because you've trained enough people to realize, even outside the military, who's going to make it, who has a better chance of making it, and who, right? I mean, you can work with someone for a couple weeks and say, yeah, you're going to be good in this, in this aspect of this. There's so many parts to your guys' you know, career field, but at least for what you're teaching them, you 
can tell right away who's, who clicks and who doesn't with what they're learning, right? I can work with them in a day, watch them do a past, and be able to accurately detail when they're going to fail or quit or what will happen to them. Wow, that's that's, that's <laughs> But I, it's it's because I just want I've I've learned this is what you need to people watch. I've been watching people for forty something years, and the way they act, the way they move, the way they stand, where they put their hands on their hips, where they all of that stuff just gives away so many things about a person: how they run, how they swim, how they do their pull ups, how they do their push ups, how they do an underwater how they're breathing, what they look, what their eyes are doing. I just watch everything, and it's it's very interesting because, I mean, I, I watch myself. You know, like I um, in yoga, we're looking at a mirror, and I can see when something is hurting because my face is like – and I'm sitting there focusing, and I can see on my face. And so then I'm like trying to wipe the, the look off my face because I'm like, oh, ah. And uh, – but – it's sad though because people just telegraph, you know. Oh, I'm strong. No, you're you're saying you're strong, but your actions say something else. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what you're talking about. Is be realistic with your expectations and yourself. I mean, I've never run a marathon, and I know at this point, I, I mean, my body's too beat up, my spine is, is jacked up. My, I mean, I know that even after walking six miles. For some reason, my right my right leg will start to flop. My foot, I'm like walking like a, a duck, Aww. and that happens sometimes. And of course, doctors are like, "Yeah, you just gotta stretch more and, and do more." And then I was like, "Well, okay." And, and sure enough, that's what it took to correct that. But uh, for some people, they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna you know train a little bit and go do this or that, or whether it's shooting, whether it's swimming, whether it's whatever." Okay, well. When they get put to the test and they fail, you don't want to tell them, well, I told you, but yeah. at the same time, how do you, so I'll ask you, so how do you, when, you, when you've come across these students and, and guys that want to be a BJ, how do you tell them at the end of the day after they just told you, yeah, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and then they, they fail miserably, how do you approach them to have the conversation that, you need to be realistic with yourself and your expectations. I mean, how did that conversation go with well, all right, so, on the extreme side and on the other extreme side? Right. So some people, I can tell them just how bad they did and whatever, and they won't listen. They'll yeah. go, yeah, yeah, it, I just had a bad day. And they'll make excuses and they'll, they'll just – and I'll never see them again. And they'll never graduate from pararescue. I'll hear that they joined – and they fail at some point, and they end up in some other job. All right? Or I have um, maybe I've got a guy who he's got time, so yeah, he sucks, but you know he's, he's maybe told me he's got a, a year to two years to prepare. Or, and, and so this is – so instead of being mean, I give them – I'm like, okay – so realistically, you're looking at about four or five years of training before you're ready to go. Um, one, because I don't want to squash anybody's hope. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't do this to, to push down people. But I do want them to be realistic. So by me telling you that you have four to five years that says like, whoa, I have a long way to go. 
but I do have time to get there so I can do this, or they realize this isn't for me, and they go, you know, maybe I should do something else, you know, because they they yeah. do understand that putting four or five years into this may or may not even pay off. Um, yeah. So. I because I used to like I think I I would feel bad because I'm telling this kid I'm like uh, have you thought about another job you know and it just didn't feel right and so I, I said you know I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or squash somebody's hope so realistically you're looking at six years and you know and then sometimes I'm like hey dude you are ready to go now go find a recruiter sign up and join now you know maybe come back for a week or two let's you know polish you off make sure you're good to go but you have you you're saying the right words your your chin is strong you're standing up straight and tall you're you talk to people you have a heart you have compassion you're training hard you know they're just a well-rounded person and and I've seen plenty of those and I'm and I tell them I'm like Tell your parents thank you because they cared about you and they made sure that you were good to go before they sent you out into the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see that with, you know, I, I think the, the, the most people I really are attracted to and get along with are those um, those who played sports hard growing up. Yeah. You know? Because you learn teamwork. Yeah, yeah, you learn teamwork and you learn, you know, what they went through and, and et cetera. And you're like, wow, you know, I got to not just respect for this guy, but you know what their capabilities are and were and now where they're at, et cetera. I mean, um, I know you played a lot of sports growing up and you even mentioned, you know, a lot of the guys that, that passed, a lot of the guys that don't have such a hard time or are the wrestlers, you know, they go through. And I was like, well, that, yeah, that's a kind of a, a different workout for a lot of people. Um, not necessarily, um, I, who was it? It was um, Steve Elson, one of the, I don't, I don't, do you know Steve? He's the older PJ. I um, do not. I've, I've heard the name, he, but I don't, I've never met him. Yeah, I think it's like the 23rd in, in Carolina. But anyway, um, he was, telling me that there was, when he was going to school, there was a kid who played water polo and, and swimming and, you know, the sports, but he was such a good, strong water polo swimmer that they couldn't sink him. You know, they had his hands up and they were, you know, treading water and they, they had to give him this, this chair to hold <laughs> to help weight him down because it was so easy for him. Yep. And it was just, you know, like, man, this guy, you know, he will not sink. And so they started waiting, waiting him down. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like, wow, well, yeah, I played water bowl for three years. I, I wasn't that good. I didn't have the legs like that guy. Absolutely not. But there were guys that played sports that you knew, wow, this, this, this guy, no matter what he does, he's going he's gonna to be someone to go somewhere and do something. They were just that good in sports all the way around that, you knew that they were going to accomplish something else other in life because they had the, the confidence and the, you know, I could do this attitude kind of thing. But they can back it up. That was the difference. Right. They could back it up. And so when I meet other people that say, yeah, I'm going to do this or that, well, it doesn't matter if it's business or sports. You know, like my, some of my daughter's friends and stuff, they play and they wanted to do certain things. I'm like, well, 
let's talk about that. And they didn't want to talk about details of that. I'm right. like, well, anybody who can do it and has done it can talk about details, you know? And and I think about what your your main point is is that if you're in a job, you need to be a utility player. You need to be to keep with the baseball analogies. You need to be able to pitch, catch, throw, outfield, infield. Like you, they can put you wherever they need to, and you will succeed. Right with yeah, I, yeah. Let me let me we'll, we'll clarify that with in a small business app. Absolutely, absolutely. In a large business, people put you in your place like, hey, don't be don't be coming over here and doing this. This is my job. Well, so I I agree. But, but to your point, they should know and respect the other positions within the company to know how the processes work so that when they're talking about, hey, I'm going to build this for you, here's the process, and if anything happens, let me know or whatever, or that guy wants to make a change, you know the process enough to where it go into the production line. Well, you have to get it all approved, of course. And then and, and go and say, okay, for this part of the production, we need to do this. You know, it's kind of like running your own restaurant where you know how to cook, but at the same time, there's a process to making the burritos. If somebody says, hey, hold the block, and you know he's already folding the dang burrito. You can't unfold it, take the block out without making a mess. Right. You know? So knowing all the processes of your company, not not necessarily doing all of them, right. but understanding and knowing of the process is just as important as a small business where people wear those different hats. And they, they know that you know they can do any part of that job should the one person be sick, that's the forklift driver, or that's, you know, well, or if they're on the hat. If they're dead, like is so. What I was applying it to was just pararescue in general, but it's how I how I do my job now. Is if my boss says, "Hey, I need you to do this," okay. Hey, I need you to do that, okay. Hey, I need you to do this, okay. Like whatever he asks me, I will do because like I want to be the utility player. Like you said, I'm not necessarily in everybody's chili. I'm not doing anything, but if the dude in front of me falls. Then boom, I pick it up and I keep going, and and that is what I think you need to be in the air yeah, force yeah. or in your job, not necessarily over everybody's back trying to go get their job or steal their job, but um, but knowing how to do their job. I mean, look, they they showed us how to fly a helicopter. Um, so just in case the pilot's done, the FE's done, everybody, I could fly a helicopter and it wouldn't be yeah, very pretty. I could land it. Like I, I don't. You. It would be your last hope. Like if if I'm flying, then we are we are on our last leg of hope. But I was capable of doing it, and and that's the yeah. kind of things you know. The gunner gets shot. I need to know how to operate. You know the minigun. Everything yeah. that happens. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That you know, it's interesting. Is so I I got to fly an Alcac. I don't know if I told you that story. Nope. Um, in Little Creek, and that's like flying a helicopter. And I was and the helicopter is a little more difficult, I think, because I I did get to sit in a, a couple of different aircraft, and the glider was the first one. And that was um, that was pretty fun, but. It, it's finesse. I mean, it, take, it takes a lot of finesse. Those things are so sensitive to your movements. And I was like, wow. I mean, I'm up in the air here, but 
taking off and landing, that's a whole other story, but trying to just keep it straight, you know, whether it's on the horizon or, I mean, you're just constantly thinking of a thousand things. But, yeah, that, for you guys, in those situations, you know, being shot at and, and missiles and whatever else, that's, that's crazy to think that, you know, okay, I'm the last one. I gotta, I gotta jump in and now drop us the face, those who are still with us. Uh, I, well, I mean, just for me, that was crazy. I'm sure that there are other people that have been in even worse situations. I mean, think about you're the navigator in the back of the plane and the pilot's dead. Uh, maybe yeah. you went to flight school. <laughs> maybe you don't. Hopefully he's been showing. I mean, and this is why the medics started showing all the guys in line, you know, whether you're a combat controller or a ranger or whatever, everybody needs to know how to tourniquets and things like that. Because what if the medic gets killed? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now you need to put lactic rangers in there too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you need you need to know everything. We need you. I mean, isn't that why when you go to college, they make you take other courses that maybe you would think they have nothing to do, but would make you a more well-rounded person? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just about. I'm going to be a, you know, a scientist. So I only need to learn about science and math. You know, I need to learn how to write. I need to learn history. I need to learn. But if you look, you can see the cycles of whatever uh, in different cultures, in different empires, in different people, you know, or or just a relationship, how your relationships go. Well, I, I don't know why my relationships always fail at six months. And then you start looking back and you're like, oh, okay. I, you know, people can only fake uh, being somebody that they're not for about six months. And then after about six months, you start seeing the real person. Interesting. I, I never put a I never put a timeline on that, um, but I do know I do I do know some fellows that that are great. We'll, we'll say great out the gate, and they don't have any long term relationships. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you, you're you're great. You get the prettiest women out there, but you don't have a second date with these women. What's going on? Oh, you know, blah blah blah. Right. And I'm like, something's going on with this mm-hmm. this fella that is coming out that you know is he can't he can't hide or deny that you know it's um preventing him from having a long term relationship, whatever it is. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I told um I told one of my family members buddy so and so, how's he doing? Because he's always dating women and he's always being trying to uh, people are always trying to set him up. He's an older guy, forty something. And my, my um, family member told me, that, yeah, he's probably going to be alone. <laughs> he's, he's, he's done you know, dating the pretty girls, and now he's like, I just want to settle down. But he gets these, you know, not crazy, but different type of people. I, I don't know. He's he trying to explain that, you know, between himself and the people he picked, it's just never going to work out. You know what I mean? 
you, you well you have to get out of your cycle. Like where where are you? I always pick up girls at the bar. I always pick up girls at Starbucks. I always pick up girls at the gym. I always pick up girls at yeah. church. Like it, you you have to change where you're, you know, hunting or fishing or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, no, he's not. He, yeah, he doesn't even right here. But at the same time, where he meets them, how he meets them. Yep. What he says. You know, we we're talking about the young lady a while back, and and what she says initially <laughs> scares them off. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and you know, I've always uh, in my relationships, what I never liked pet names because it just didn't feel you know schmoopy or whatever. But I never, I mean, other than being polite and nice. Like, I, I didn't try to get the, you know, oh, this was, you know, my previous favorite song, so let's keep this as my favorite song. You know, like, it was always a new relationship. It was always new. Go to a new restaurant. Go to different places. Do new things because you you don't want to. I mean, maybe because you don't want to be sad, so you don't remember, oh, this was our favorite place to go, you know, or just it's a new relationship. It's a new person. You don't you know, bring, um, my, my ex-wife used to do that. She would say things that somebody else had said and then would hold me accountable to that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I didn't say that. And that's not the way I am. So, you know, you can't just automatically judge everybody off of everybody. Like this, there's a new relationship. So it's a new thing. And, uh, but a lot of people bring whatever baggage there is from the their eight previous relationships that they never, you know, actually got over. And so then they're in this new relationship and they have those ticks and then nervousness about something because it, I always get cheated on. Well, what did you do? What are you doing? Why did you do that? Or are you picking the wrong person? You know, it, it maybe it is them and it's not you, or maybe it is you and it's not them, but you know, or maybe there's fault on both sides and, you know, you're just not ready for the relationship or you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so you have to look at yourself and if maybe you're the common denominator. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I keep thinking of growing up, you know, from 19 to whatever, when living in Europe, living in, in other cultures, what did you learn from from those other cultures? Not necessarily from women, but from what did you learn from those other cultures and how, you know, because whether whether it's a, a culture that's been around for eons or looking back at the American culture, there's a world of difference with living in another culture versus the United States. Unless you're, you know, the background like you and I and Ricardo and, and you know, really have strong cultural backgrounds. But when you look at living in another country and how they do things and etc. I mean you can learn a lot. That's why I really enjoy taking the girls, you know, on trips, you know, whether it's Japan or Audrey lived there for a couple months or when Italy or wherever, you know. Living in other cultures and countries is really awakening and I think helped, you know, for relationships. Mm-hmm. You know? I really think, um, I'm not saying adopt everyone else's um, belief system or habits or practices, but I think there's something to be taken away from everything to fit in your little world, if you will. And 
pot. You know, how do you how do you pick the person that you're going to end up with at the end of the day? I, sometimes it's chosen for you by a higher power. Right. Other times it's, it's just you know just happened. You just happened to meet somebody and, and started getting along and talking and whatever. But when most people, I don't I don't know the the generation my daughters are growing up in. I don't get into their, their business. I know what's going on, but how they do what they do and what's going through their head, you know, I don't have that detail. Um, Natalie's focused on school, school, school. Audrey's focused on school. Of course, she has a boyfriend and he's focused on school. But to look at others, whether it's adults, whether it's, you know, in-betweeners, between us and our kids, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know, but I do know that culturally, when you study other cultures and and uh, share experiences, that definitely doesn't hurt. It, it 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 absolutely hurts if you stay in you know your own town, never veer out your own town, have have the same friends that talk about the same things, and just look at them going to do stuff around the world, and you're just stuck there, not willing to experience or change, then, yeah, that's that rut that you're talking about. Change what you're doing to do something different, <laughs> to find someone different that may not treat you the same or, or will treat you better or whatever. Right. Get out. Get out of that zone that you're in, that place that you always go to for comfort. And... So that reminds me, uh, so my godfather used to tell me all that is good, all that is beautiful is not good, but all that is good is beautiful. And it reminds me of, there was a 50s song, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, make a ugly woman your wife. And, but what, what to me that means is if you want to be happy, if the person is beautiful and they know it, they're probably going to be trouble. But the people that are beautiful and they don't know it and they have that inner glow and their yeah. beauty comes from within, those are the kind of people – you can't judge somebody. Oh, look at that that girl. She's hotter. Look at that dude. He must work out. You know, you, you can't look at somebody and think that that's a good way to, uh, to judge them. Now, you can go, all right, so they work out, so maybe they take care of themselves. How do they eat? Are they drinking water? Are they polite to their parents? Are they nice to little old people walking across the street? Do they open the door for people? Are they smiling? Are they, you know, those are things that you can tell about a person, you know, but are they narcissistic? They work out too much. They don't care about anybody else. They're, you know, everything. Yeah. And it's all from people watching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, your, your theories are pretty much right on most of the time. I don't know if any of the art, but I'm just saying most of the time. Oh, well, thank you. I don't, I don't know all of them. But, but you're right. I mean, it's, you know, when I, when I look at you, healthy, smiling all the time, and happy all the time, and helping others, I'm like, man, this this guy is great. He's, he's just awesome. You know, I want some more of this, you know. And um, Capo, same way, you know. It's, it's, I can't imagine, you know, Capo being a commander and, being hard on anyone. As a matter of fact, he told me. He said there was a scenario where there was another officer um, chewing up an airman because something silly. He didn't. Um, 
he didn't seem to give him the salute. I think that was that was the story. Right. And so this guy reamed him, and I'm like, wow, that, that sounds like a lot of, you know, officers that, hey, I want my salute. Mm-hmm. And so Capo said he went up to this younger officer and said, hey, haven't you got anything better to do? I said, yeah. So he's like, you know, go find something more productive and better to do than reaming this airman for not saluting me. Maybe he didn't see you or whatever the excuse was, but... Why would you do that? And that's um, that's a shame, you know, mm-hmm. because that's that's part of the game, you know, between the officers enlisted, which is, you know, not necessarily that better than you, but they're looking for looking for stuff to prop themselves up. Sometimes, you know, those aren't those aren't the good ones. Those are no. those that are good on the out, uh, beautiful on the outside, but ugly on the inside. Yeah. And and there's NCOs like that, and there's airmen like that, just people who yeah, abuse yeah. their power and or want you to pay more attention to them. And it's just like – because, I mean, sometimes people space out. You're you're trying to cure cancer, and you don't see some officer walking by and then like, why didn't you salute me? And like, whoa, okay, sorry. You know, you're – sorry, I apologize. Didn't mean to do that. And then, you know, okay, and then you move on. But yeah, I've seen some people get yelled at for, and it's like it's not that big of a deal. Now, did you um, you're you're putting your weapon into the clearing barrel, and your weapon goes off, and there's still a round in the chamber, and you didn't know that? Then there's a perfect example where someone should be reamed, and or spoken to in a manner that helps them explain or understand that you know you don't leave live rounds in when you're you know clearing your weapon. But uh, just over something like a salute, I mean, that's whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but, you know, I, I, um, I think Kappa was in Oregon for a while. Um, I can't remember where else he was, but um, well, he, when I finally got a hold of him, you know, he was, he was retired already and running that partnered with somebody, another another officer, mm-hmm. right officer to run that air conditioning company. Right. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I said, I, I could tell by his voice, he wasn't the happy capo, capo that I that I remember. I was like, what's going on? He's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. He was just really down, you know, in the, one of the conversations we had. And you know, it turned out that person was embezzling on him, you know. And I said, oh, man, I said, I off- when I offered to help you with your business, help, I could have identified some of this, you know, during the looking through the books or whatever, you know, but, well, I'm glad, you know, it's all over and moved on to a better place thanks to you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just, you never know what you're going to find underneath that beautiful package, that wrapping, right? Right. Well, I mean, so we'll have to have Cap on one of these days. Because, uh, I mean, you know, he just lives down the street, and that would, that would be pretty good. But you you, you put – I mean, all right, so I do try to be happy. I believe life is a happy battle. Uh, some days are a little bit harder than others. Um, but generally, having retired and not being in the military, uh, my my outlook on life is like, well, I don't have to go back to war. Um Chances are the people around me aren't going to die. I mean, occasionally, you know, friends still die and stuff happens because I still got friends they're still in. But for the most part, most of my friends have retired. So it's kind of like 
I don't get as many cell phone calls. Like, everything's kind of slowing down a little bit, and I kind of like that in that, you know, I'm not worried about I, – I hated phone calls for the longest time because it seemed like every time the phone rang, it was telling me somebody was dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's – I don't know if I talked about that, but when I was um, a can- uh, counselor for kids with cancer in New Mexico. Oh, yeah. And that was Camp Enchantment. I would get – you know, after after the summer program, you know, I would get phone calls, but the only phone calls I got were of so-and-so passed away. Yeah. So-and-so passed away. And I'm like, you know, even when I – left New Mexico and I came back I would keep in touch with one of the directors uh, Adrian Guerrero who was a police officer there in New Mexico great great guy and you know whenever I I, I had to tell him can can I like not get any more phone calls <laughs> I mean at this point it's like I, I just don't want a phone call saying someone died yep. you know um, that either because we all have the counselors we had our own kids our own group of kids I'm just volunteering a few hours a week. Like, 
I know. That, that's what makes it hard. I'm going to have to let you go because these women are very distracted by you. Wow. I said, oh, okay, then. I thought that was Were pretty it? darn funny to get fired from a non-profit organization where I don't even get paid. So. I, I think it's a, it's a good way to be fired. <laughs> like, what, what were you fired for? Uh, uh, so, Because because men their age or divorced grumpy watch the news and have to use Viagra. <laughs> Versus this is why I liked dating young girls for so long. They were happy. They weren't jaded. They weren't divorced. They hadn't been turned to, to hate everybody yet. And you know it it's a rough people. You know like if if you find a dude at at forty five and he's never been married. He doesn't have any kids. He's he's either a priest or you know he's a player. Like it could go either way. So it just depends on what you're seeing or where you're going and and what they are. So I mean, not that you can judge somebody, but generally, you know, if somebody's never slowed down or you know, then they're never going to slow down. Or you know, the the way that they are going to slow down is they're just going to get so old that nobody wants them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's very few exceptions in between with people that are of work or whatever, whatever the case is, you know, but I would say that um, the volunteerism thing is absolutely a, a must, is where I was going to segue into. Volunteerism, to learn something, you know, from other people, older people, um, charitable organizations, to do what you can do to help others through that organization if you can't do it on your own. Yep. You know, uh, just watch out for the cougars. Yeah, just watch out for the cougars. What What do they call males who who prey on young women? What do they have a name too or no? Pedophiles. Pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't know. Uh, so women of of age, obviously. Yeah, I was really really upset that they passed that stupid law here for basically pedophiles, and as long as the kid is consenting to an adult, you know, older by. 10 years, 15, 20 years in California, oh, no. but they would not get in trouble. No, that is not good at all. It is bad. It is bad. That's a, gov- that's a Gavin Newsom thing that uh, people are really, really upset about. They're like, why? how could you pass a law that says a 14-year-old can say, by consent, it's okay if I go out and, and this older guy, you know, does whatever he wants uh, for a 14-year-old? Yeah, that's not that's not good. Because prisons are full and they can't put anybody more in, so they're trying to think of reasons not to put them in.
<laughs> yeah, we'll have to continue this on to uh, make it uh, another one for uh, the other topics we were going to talk about. Yeah, well, we, that's what we do. We'll just keep talking and picking up wherever we left off, and it'll be a continuing uh, conversation. Yeah, I'll squeeze his butt. (laughs) (laughs) Every every now and then I'll see a a YouTuber fan, you know, Sammy. One of the last times, you know, he's he's a pretty humble guy, but, you know, without his shirt. And Mike, Mike, you know, I mean, Kappa's pretty damn ripped for his age, you know. Oh, yeah, no, he's he's competing with young men and women and doing better than them. So, yeah, I'm very proud of him. He represents us well. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure again. And uh, if you're free next Wednesday, let's do it again. And we'll put it out Wednesday evening. I will make myself free. All right. Thank you very much. Thank Uh, thank you, Mike. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. And uh, have a blessed day. And be safe. Absolutely. I love you, bro. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Love you. Bye. Bye.